Man, that is just so, so incredible. What a great partnership with our church and give a kid a chance and then also serve International, two of our outreach partners that we have been partnering with for years to see the impact continuing to happen. Uh, you know, in this whole thing that we've been in for the last several months, the church never closed. We have been open. We haven't just been gathering together in person. We've been gathering online, but the church has been open and active. And that's what's amazing. As you heard, over a thousand backpacks, man, that is crazy. Over a thousand backpacks because of you and your generosity and making that happen through our outreach partners, Give a Kid a Chance and Serve International, over a thousand food boxes as well. And so many of our team members and staff were actually the ones putting those boxes together, handing those backpacks out. Uh, and then in partnership also with First Baptist Canton, who always hosts the event here in Canton. And it's just incredible to see that. And in fact, you may even notice on the video, one of our longtime team members here uh, at Revolution Church is now on staff there at First Baptist Canton. And so it's just really, really incredible to see the church coming together to serve the community. And that's what it's all about. In fact, at the beginning of all of this uh, coronavirus craziness, we talked about really capturing these moments that we're in, capturing this season that we're in, and living in these moments, not just letting the minutes go by. And again, I just want to continue to encourage you as a church, and you've been so faithful in this, but I want to continue to encourage that faithfulness because, again, we want to celebrate what we want to see repeated. And so it's just been incredible to see your faithfulness over these last several months, not only in giving, but in serving our community and making things like this happen because it really does go a long way. And that's what I want our church to always be about. In fact, the church, it's not just about Revolution Church, it's about the church existing not only for the glory of God, but for the good of other people. And that is what we've been about from the beginning. And it's really, really cool to see that continue in this crazy time. So, in fact, it's gonna deal with a lot of what we're gonna talk about today, about how God wants to bring about that type of obedience in our lives. And that's what this is about. So if you got a Bible, we're gonna still be in Romans chapter 16. I told you this a couple weeks ago. We're gonna kind of slow down a little bit. And actually, I said initially three weeks, we're gonna wind up actually being four weeks in these last three verses in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. And we've done two weeks in them already. And I'm gonna read those verses for us, pray, and then kind of recap what we've talked about and then jump into our text for today, all right? So let me read it. Then I'm gonna pray and ask God to bless our time together and then we'll dig into the word. Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, it says this. Now to him... If you were here two weeks ago, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ, amen. Let's pray and ask God to open our eyes, then we'll jump into the text, all right? Pray with me. Father, we always, and I say this often, and I will continue to say it often, we wanna come to the word as the authority in our life. God, so often we want to know what your will is. People talk a lot about your will and knowing your will, but God, we can never know your will without knowing your word. And the more that we are in your word, the more that we read your word, examine your word, apply your word in our life, the more we will know your will. And so God, I pray 
that as we open the word today, that you would speak to us because we know it's through your word and through your spirit. It's through the preaching of your word, through the power of your spirit, God, that we are strengthened. And so God, I pray that you would do that today. As always, that you would open up our eyes to see and to our ears to hear. And then God, to have the faith to live it out. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Even in the mystery, as we talked about last week, we don't always understand, but we know the one who does. And, and it's to you, and that's who we want it to be to, because you're able and we're not. And so God, as we open up your word now, we acknowledge that fact. We come to the word as our authority and ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and to fill us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this week we're gonna concentrate on the second part of verse 26, all right? So I've got it here on the screen as well, if you've got it in your Bible there. This is the third according to. So he's already done two according to's, and that's what I've talked about the last two weeks. So this week we're gonna see the third one. So let's dig into what he says here. Verse 26, he says, according to the command of the eternal God, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, these according to's that he's done to, the, done, now this is the third one, three prepositions. Again, you know I love prepositions. It means to, to come down to or to, to show the relationship to. And so the whole point of this section, this doxology is it's to him, to him who's able. And then he strengthens us and then he gives us three according to's about how he strengthens us. So to him who is able to strengthen us, and that word, phrase strengthen, and I forgot to say it the week that we talked about, it means to establish or to make stable, which if there's anything that we need in 2020, it's to be made stable. And so the catchy phrase there is he's able to make us stable. So to him who's able, and then he says according to, according to the gospel and preaching, we talked about that, last week according to the revelation, which again, he, he will strengthen us when we know, when we are aware of the fact of the mystery about how God uses our misery. He uses our misery to strengthen us. And that's the part that's always strange for us. And we forget the verse where Paul says, we are weak when we are strong, when we are weak. And so what misery does is it shows us we can't strengthen ourselves. And so it's in the revelation of the mystery, again, that second according to that God strengthens us through preaching, through the mystery. And then the third one here, the third according to, he says, is according to the command of the eternal God. According to the command of the eternal God. So here's what I wanna connect for you. He says he's able to strengthen you. He's able to strengthen us. He's able to make us stable. Why? Because he has commanded it because he has commanded it. It's according to the command. Now, one of the problems of the current Christian mind, and I don't know if this is a postmodern thing, it probably is, and it's definitely a mindset thing that we have now when it comes to general authority. No one today likes having authority. And this has always been the human problem. Again, you can trace it all the way back to Adam. It's this idea of, I don't want someone else telling me what to do. We're having all kinds of political conversations about stuff like that. And so what happens is when we think about 
how we're gonna try to strengthen ourselves, we try to do it according to our own ability to make commands or our own ability to make something happen. Why? Because we don't like someone else telling us what to do. But here's my, my contention to you. And again, this flies in the face of a lot of the mindset that we have today. You actually want a God who is able to strengthen you to command you. That's actually a great thing because his commands will actually bring about more joy in our lives. Jesus said it like this. You love me if you obey my commandments. He said, I said this to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So when God, who is able, commands something, he commands it because he actually knows better than us what's gonna bring about maximum joy. And so this mindset that we have today that we don't like submitting to authority, again, this is why we disobey our parents, this is why we disobey our bosses, or if somebody tells us to do something that we don't want to do, we kind of bristle against that, and the reason is because we think our understanding is just as great as theirs. We think that our understanding is just as great as theirs, but what the Bible is trying to get us to see is, no, his ways are higher than your ways, Isaiah says. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so there's gonna come a time, and if it hasn't already happened, then it will happen soon, where you, you get to the end of your understanding and you get to the beginning of God's understanding and then you have to say, I don't understand, but I have faith. I will trust his commands. And the reason why that is good is because Everything that brings you maximum joy, i.e. the commands of God, obeying God, will actually come about if the one who commands it is able to bring it about. Now, let me say it to you like this. One of my favorite quotes of all times is from a third century theologian named Augustine. And he said it like this. He said, God, command what you will but grant what you command. Command what you will, but grant what you command. And in fact, when Augustine said that, when he talked like that, it created a really large controversy within the Christian church, which still rages on today, between if my obedience to God is really a product of something I do for God or something that God does in and for me, to enable what he commands. And again, this debate rages all the time, and, and you might frame it like free choice or free will versus God's choice. So is it our choice or is it God's choice? And my contention to you always is this, and I said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again, I'll say it a few weeks from now, I'll say it a few months from now, I'll say it a few years from now. You actually want a God who not only commands you, but grants what he commands, who brings about what he commands. What is he bringing about? Why would you want that? Look back at the verse. According to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. The one who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel, preaching, 
according to the mystery, the revelation of the mystery, and according to the command. Here's what Paul's saying. God is gonna bring about obedience to faith in you because he commanded it to happen. And the reason why you want a faith, a God, who grants what he commands is because on our own, you and I aren't able to bring it about. We're not able to bring about what God commands. And this is what makes God, the God of the Bible, the eternal God, and we're gonna get more into this next week as we wrap this up. This is what sets him apart from any other faith system on the planet that has ever existed. Every other faith system also has commands. In fact, you may even think that you're secular and you don't believe in God, but you have a religious mindset. You have commands that you follow. You have right and wrong. So every religion on the planet has a set of rules, has commands, but no other religion, and I would even argue Christianity is not a religion, but no other faith system also empowers you to obey the commands or to bring about the commands. This is what sets God apart. And this is why I love how Paul calls him the eternal God, the eternal God. That word there, eternal, is a Greek word, aeon, A-I-O-N. It's where we get our English word, eon. We just took the A off, and it's spelled also A-E-I-O-N. And the word eon or aeon means ages. So we talk about different eons or ages. So if you look throughout history, there's the dark ages, there's the industrial age. We are now in the information age, as people call it. Well, what Paul is saying is, God of the Bible is the God above all those ages. He's above all those periods of time. In fact, this phrase here, eternal, literally means he's without age. He has no beginning. He has no end. And here's why you want an eternal God to command you, who's above every age, because what Paul is saying is, no matter what age you're in, God is able to bring about what he commanded. Because he's above all ages. He's eternal. And, and the thing that I thought about this, and, and again, I have a 16-year-old son, so we talk about this a lot, and there's clothing, and it's a phrase in sports, but the phrase GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. So there's a lot of conversations today about who's the GOAT, right? In football, who's the quarterback that is the GOAT? In basketball, who is the star that's the GOAT? Is it Jordan? Is it LeBron? Who, who is it? And we have all these conversations about in this age, in this sport, who's the greatest? But it's interesting to me, God doesn't get a lot of street cred when it comes to being the GOAT, when it comes to being the greatest of all time. Now, I'm not trying to Jesus juke you here, but I want you to seriously think about this, all right? God is the GOAT. In fact, somebody should put that on a t-shirt. Just give me credit and royalties, all right? God is the greatest of all time. Why? Because he exists outside of all time. There is no one greater than God. 
He's the eternal one. He's the uncreated one. He's the one who has the power in every age to bring about what he commands. And if that is God, and if that God is your father, if that God is your dad, then not only does he have the power to command you, and you shouldn't bristle at that, You shouldn't read God's commands as though God is somehow trying to kill your joy, but you should love the fact that your father, your God, is the goat, is the greatest of all time, and he has the power and ability to bring about what he commands and that his commands are for your maximum joy, so therefore, he'll bring about what brings you the most joy. He'll bring about what brings you the most joy. And so when he says, according to the command of God, here's what he's saying. Is this gonna happen? Is the obedience to faith gonna happen? Yes. Why? Because he commanded it. And if he commanded it, it's gonna happen. Here's why that's good news to me and why I'm saying you want a God who you're standing with him is not based upon your faithfulness to him, but it's based upon his faithfulness to you. Here's why you want that. Here's why that's encouragement to me. You know how many times I fail to to obey? You know how many times I mess up in obeying God? And if you're anything like me, which is scary, but when I disobey God, I feel like such a failure And I feel like God is like, I'm done with you. He writes me off. He doesn't love me. He puts me in a corner. He punishes me. And when I have paid my penance and I feel really sorry for whatever I disobeyed him in, I can grovel back to to him, say I'm really sorry, and then somehow pay for what I messed up. That's not how God works. That's not how he works. Why? Because here's the, here's the clincher, and I'm going to give you this point. Faith is not dependent upon your obedience. Or let me say it like this. Obedience is not what brings about faith. Faith is what brings about obedience. In fact, that's my point. You might want to write it down. If you're taking notes, if you're watching on your computer, you might want to type it out. If you're watching it on TV, spray paint it on your wall or something. I don't know. That was a joke. Obedience doesn't produce faith, but faith does produce obedience. Why is that so important? Here's why. Because if you and I try to obey our way in to God's favor, you can never obey enough. You can never measure up enough. You can never do enough good. Let me say it to you like this. You could never bring about faith through your obedience. Why? Because you're not the goat. You're not the eternal God. You're not the one who's able. He is. And and this is what makes Christianity, again, this is the part of Christianity when people, if they would honestly, intellectually look at it, I don't know how they could reject it. Because here's what Paul's saying. He is saying, listen, the eternal God 
is able to make you strong. He's able to strengthen you. He's able to bring about faith in you according to the gospel, the good news of what he's done through Jesus, according to this mystery of this plan he's been working out, and according to his commands. He's able to bring about in you what you're not able to bring about in yourself. So the invitation to Christianity is really not an invitation to obey a bunch of commands. It's an invitation to a person who obeyed a bunch of commands and you get credit for it. That's the point. It's an invitation to Christ. And this is where we get Christianity wrong. And if people ask you, hey, are you a Christian? And if our response is, I'm trying to, then we don't understand Christianity. It, and this is the part that blows people's minds something. You know, Jesus didn't come to start Christianity. In fact, Jesus didn't start Christianity. He didn't never called it Christianity. The first apostles didn't call themselves Christians. You go read in Acts 9, 10, and 11, other people called them Christians because they reminded them of Christ. Jesus didn't come to start Christianity. Jesus came to bring you back into obedience with his father. Jesus came to bring you back into relationship that your disobedience separated you from, but he came to bring you back. And when he brought you back into relationship with him, he also brought you into his perfect obedience. And now, not only that, but he gives you the spirit to empower you to obey him. So the invitation to come to Christ is this. You mean I get credit for what somebody else did? Yes. And you mean I'll also get the power to do what you're commanding me to do? Yes. And your commands are gonna lead to my maximum joy? Yes. Sign me up. Sign me up. And again, this is why I love the Bible. Why I love the Reformed tradition. Because my ability to obey God is not what is the measure that I have to meet in order to prove I have faith in him. In fact, it's the opposite. My faith, which is a gift to me from God, is actually the thing that will produce what God commands of me. So he commands me, and it is a command, but he is going to enable what he commands. Don't believe me? Look at Ephesians chapter two. I think one of the greatest sections of scripture in the Bible, only preceded probably by the verses right before it. Ephesians 2, eight through 10, Paul says this. For by grace, you have been saved. What is grace? Grace is getting something you didn't deserve. By grace through faith, you've been saved. Not by obedience, but by grace through faith, you've been saved. And just in case you were confused, look at what he says. And this, what is this? This is everything he just said, the grace through faith. So grace is a gift and faith is a gift. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Look at verse nine, just in case we were confused. Not a result of works. That word there, works, you could substitute the word obedience. It's not the same word, but it's the same idea. And, and, and works is important, and I'll talk about this as part of our mission as a church. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one can boast. You want to know what God hates more than anything? Boastful people. 
He hates it more than anything. He calls it haughtiness. Boastful, prideful people. You want to know why he hates it so much? Because those people remind him of Satan. Because Satan was the original boastful one. He was the original prideful one. And every person on planet Earth that has ever been created that is boastful and prideful has the spirit of Satan, not the spirit of God. God can't stand boastfulness. This is why he says, weakness, losing. Weakness equals strength. Losing equals winning. It's upside down. And, and, and why does God hate it? You know why God hates it? <laughs> because it's like the greatest of all time is having a conversation with somebody who's coming to God and showing him their highlight reel. Again, this doesn't even compare, but since I'm using the reference of goat, it's like someone coming to Michael Jordan, showing them their highlight reel from their middle school basketball games. And like, I'm pretty good too, yo. <laughs> you gotta imagine, like, Somebody who's not as great coming up to one who is great and saying, man, look at my highlight reel. And we're talking human to human here. But, but with God, we're talking human to divine. We're talking creation to creator. We're talking limited, limited to limitless. We're talking, you know, not eternal to eternal. And so just imagine the greatest of all time, God, the eternal God, having a conversation with a human that he made in his image that is now denying that fact and trying to boast about their own image. God's like, for real? Get out of here with that. This is why God can't stand boastfulness. This is why I've said many, many times, if you're arrogant, you may not be Christian. Because you don't understand grace. You don't understand faith. It's not about your work. So we get in by grace through faith, and we grow by grace through faith. The gospel, your need for God, the gospel and Jesus and the Holy Spirit doesn't end the moment you become a Christian. He doesn't save you just to get you started in order for you to finish it. He starts it. And he finishes it. This is what I said a few weeks ago. He is the one who not only began it, he's the one that's going to bring it. And that's good because he can. You can't. Now, it doesn't mean that our works or our obedience is not important. In fact, look at verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. I've told you this before, but the Greek word there is the, the word poema. It's where we get our word poem masterpiece, art. You were his art created in Christ Jesus. Now don't miss this. Four good works. You created four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you and I aren't saved by good works. We're actually saved for good works. So let me rephrase that. You and I aren't saved by our obedience. We are saved for obedience. We are saved to bring about the obedience 
that faith requires. We are saved to bring about the obedience that God demands and commands of us that faith produces, that faith results in, but we can't make or we can't produce. So this obedience that, that, and and this is the part why it's so important for us to understand. We're not saved by it, but we're saved for it. We're saved into it. And that's good news. You don't have to measure up because Christ did. Now, does that mean that you don't now in Christ work to measure up? No, you do. But even that working, Paul says, is not you. It's Christ in you. So what God commands, he'll grant. He will bring about the obedience that he requires. But he will do it through grace, through faith. And that's what I want you to see. So obedience to commands is important. God wants you to to obey the command. He's God. He's the eternal God. He commands it. He has the right to. He was before you. He's after you. If you don't like it, go make your own planet. Oh yeah, you can't. But here's the good news. Not only does he require it, but he enables it. And that's what I want you to see. This is what makes it, it, again, I said, it's far gooder than you ever thought. The gospel is far gooder. I know that's bad English. Far better, far greater. Because he doesn't just save you, but he brings about obedience in you. Because he commanded it. And he'll grant what he commands. Now, let me go back. If you want to, you can flip to Romans 1. What's interesting is what Paul says at the end of Romans in chapter 16 is just a recapitulation of what he said at the beginning of Romans in Romans chapter one. So I know you probably don't remember when we did Romans one last year. So let's go back there. Romans chapter one, verses one through five. I'm gonna show you why God brings about this obedience. Paul shows you. Look at verse one, Romans one, one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is going to sound almost the same. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That sounds very similar to what Paul said in Romans 16, 25 and 26, through the plan and foreknowledge of God. But look at verse five. This is what I want to call your attention to. He says, through whom we have received grace, not earned, received. We have received grace and apostleship. Now look at this, to bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. Same exact phrase. Romans 16, 26. To bring, why did God do everything that he did in Christ? You want to know why God did it? To bring about obedience of faith in you and me. That's why he did it. He did it because he knew we couldn't obey what he commanded. How did he know that? He knew that. Not just when Adam and Eve sinned. He gave him a command. 
And that command was simple. And, and I say this often, I used to say this to teenagers all the time. God is not a God of rules. He's got a relationship. He gave them some simple rules. Work, procreate, and don't touch that tree. Be glad you're not here, because I'm spitting everywhere. Simple rules. And this is the part where you can just see the stupidity of man. Hey, work and have a relationship with your wife. And I don't have to go into all that because there's kids watching. That was the command. And don't touch the tree. And they couldn't do it. And here's the crazy thing. God knew they couldn't do it before he commanded them, which is why before the ages or the aeons ever began, God set this plan in motion. So why did he do the plan that he did throughout the Old Testament, culminating in Christ, as Hebrews tells us, Christ is the final word. Why did he bring Christ to put on flesh, to perfectly obey and to die and to raise again and now to sit at the right hand of God? Why did he do that? Because he knew you and I couldn't obey. So he did that to bring about what he commanded, to bring about obedience to faith. Now look at these next two phrases. For the sake of his name. Why did God do that? It wasn't just to bring about obedience to us, but he did it for the sake of his own name. And we'll get into this more next week when we do 27, verse 27 in chapter 16. But he did it for us and for the sake of his own name. What does that mean? If you want a case study in that, go read the book of Isaiah. The glory and the name of God are very prominent in that book. God's motivation to do it was to bring about in us what we couldn't do. Why? For the sake of his own name. Because his name's at stake in his children's ability to obey him. Now don't miss this. Parents, this is why you live so vicariously through your own kids. You and I want our kids to do great, not just because we love them, I'm not saying there's not some purity in there, but let's be honest, we also do it because if they don't do great, what does that say about us? We do it for the sake of our own name. Well, God does everything that he does for the sake of his own name. His name and glory are at stake here. And in you and I, if we fail to obey, all the angels, all the demons now that are fallen angels will be like, look at your kids. They can't even obey you. What kind of God are you? You got a bunch of rebellious kids. So for the sake of his own name, he sent Christ to bring about obedience in you and me, what he commanded, but he knew we couldn't do. So he did it for us and for the sake of his own name and glory. Now the last phrase here, among all the nations. Now we talked about this last week when we talked about this revelation of this mystery was that God wasn't just saving Israel. He wasn't just saving one people group. He was saving people from all people groups, from all nations. So you put this together, 
The world will come to an end, not with coronavirus, not with whoever you think the next president is going to be, or whichever one you thought was the Antichrist before. The world will come to a close when all nations are brought into obedience for the sake of God's name. Not a moment too soon and not a moment too late. So until the people from all nations that God is saving is drawing into himself, until that happens, until they are obeying God, Jesus won't return. Which is why it always makes me laugh a little bit when Christians get so caught up in eschatology and they think that the wise move is to go buy some land somewhere, buy a bus and bury it and live in it. <laughs> I'm ready for the end time. Okay, hold on. Well, if Jesus isn't gonna come back until everybody knows, why don't you know, not go buy a bus and bury it, but why don't you go buy a bus and drive it around to all your neighbors and tell them about Jesus? Because if he did that, he'd come back. But he won't come back until from all nations are brought into obedience. And so what am I saying is this? God is going to fulfill what he commanded. What did he command? Real quick, Matthew 28, 18. I don't have it on the screen, I'll just say it to you. It's a great commission where Jesus says, after he resurrected, all authority, all authority to command has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And then he says the phrase, if you've been around church, you know it, therefore, go. Now, everybody thinks the command is go. It's not. The command is make disciples. But there's a phrase that gets missed a lot. Make disciples, do you want to guess? Of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Again, why do we care about racial reconciliation? Because of the command. Why do we care about taking the gospel to unreached people groups? Why do we care about planting churches in Africa and villages where there is no church? Because of the command. So how do we make disciples of all nations? We go, we baptize, and there's a third one. <laughs> I want you to read it in light of this. Jesus says, and teaching them to obey. Obey. See, my obedience of faith is not the ground of my salvation. It's not the root of it, but it's the fruit of it. So James says, faith without works is dead. Not meaning you have to add works to your faith, but, but faith is always going to bring about works. Faith, living a live faith, is always going to bring about obedience. It's what it does. Why? Because that's the command of God. So you really don't know if I'm a disciple until you see me obeying the commands of God. And when you see me obeying the commands of God, you'll know that the spirit of God through the word of God is working in me to bring it about. That's how you know. So let me close with this. How about you and I reframed our obedience? How about you and I started thinking differently about obedience? How about if we saw it in two ways? One, we saw it for the sake of his name. How about we saw if we're not bringing about obedience, 
then we're shaming his name. You say, well, Jason, you told me I can't bring it about. You're right. But you can admit to him that you can't bring it about and receive grace and he'll bring it about, which glorifies him even more. So what if we saw obedience like that? Secondly, what if we connected obedience to other people in other nations bringing glory to God's name? Let me say it to you like this. What if your disobedience to the command of God led someone else to disobey and therefore dishonor God? What if we reframed obedience like that? We saw obedience now for the sake of his name and for the sake of our neighbor. If I saw my obedience as a part of the process of God bringing all nations to himself, then it gives me a new motivation to obey. And so for those of us who are wrestling with obedience, we're wrestling submitting to the authorities God has put over us, what if your disobedience is leading someone else to deny Jesus? You think that would motivate you to obey? I think so. This is why it's really pointless for Christians to sit around and have conversations and be like, is that really what he said? Yes, that's what he said. And that's what he meant. If he made it clear, obey it. Because if you don't, you're dishonoring his name and you may lead your neighbor to deny his name. Let me say it to you like this. I can't teach others to obey something that I'm not obeying. I can't bring about obedience in others if it's not brought about first in me. I was having a conversation with my 10-year-old daughter this last week. I told her to do something. I commanded her, because I'm a father. She didn't want to do it. And then afterwards, she called me a hypocrite. And I was like, huh? You know, I like words. I said, how am I a hypocrite if I'm commanding you to do something? She's like, well, you just commanded me to do it because you didn't want to do it. So you're a hypocrite. I said, do you even know what hypocrite means? She said, yeah. When you don't do what you say. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I said, when I'm commanding you to do something, I'm also doing it. But I'm commanding you to do it to see whether or not you're a hypocrite. If you will do what I say. Because if you say I'm your father and you won't do what I say, then you're a hypocrite. It was just one of those like random conversations with a 10-year-old that was great. And then we moved on. And I thought about that with this message. How many times as Christians are we hypocrites because we say God's our father, but we don't do what he says? What kind of obedience is it? I said I was done. Hold on. Let me, let me go back. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 12. Paul says it, Romans 12. What kind of obedience? What are we talking about when we obey? Listen to what he said. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. You just write 2020 there. 
Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a set of verses for 2020. Christians, you wanna know why the name of God is not hallowed across the nations and why we're experiencing what we're experiencing? It's because so often Christians aren't obeying those commands. Now, I'm not saying that and saying that you're not saved if you're not obeying them. Again, I've already done that. But what I'm saying is this. If you are saved, you will obey them. If you have been saved by grace through faith, you will do good works because God commanded it. So if you're not, maybe you do need to step back and say, have I really submitted my life to him? Have I really understood it was by grace through faith that I brought nothing to this? And so if I brought nothing to it, he has every right to command me because he does. And if you'll believe in faith and be saved, then he will bring about that obedience. So there may be some of you here today that that's step one, you need to be saved. But then I know there's a lot of us that you have been saved, but 2020 has whipped you up into this weird frenzy where you're not blessing those who persecute you. You're not abhorring evil. You're not outdoing others and showing honor. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. And that's actually proving, showing the devil is more your father than God. Because God's kids don't dishonor his name by disobeying his commands. So I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what commands that you've been wrestling with, but all I'm saying is this. Admit, ask God for grace, and he'll give you the grace to obey him. He'll bring it about. And when he brings it about in you, it honors him, and it leads to more people knowing him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your word, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for bringing this about for the sake of your name and to bring about what you commanded in us that we couldn't do for ourselves. There's no God like you. There's no faith system like this that grants what they command. So thank you. But God, we know there may be some people here listening that have never been saved. They thought that they had to obey in order to be saved. And God, I pray that your spirit has opened their eyes to see, no, it's by grace through faith. Obedience doesn't lead to faith. Faith precedes it, and faith is a gift. And so if their eyes have been opened today, they can respond in faith and confess and be saved. And if that's you, you can pray with me goes like this. Say, Father, thank you so much for loving me, a sinner, that you sent Jesus to obey in my place for my sin. I trust Jesus alone, who rose from the dead, paying my price. I ask you to save me, forgive me, and bring about 
that obedience. Again, if that was you who prayed with me, we wanna know that. You'll have an opportunity in just a minute to text us. Let us know that you trusted Christ. And then for those of us that have trusted Christ, and if you're wrestling, you're wrestling with some areas of disobedience in your life, I want you to understand something. God is not waiting for you to get it all together and to start being obedient. God is waiting for you to recognize that you're not able. Just like you're not able to save yourself, you're not able to obey him. And so if you will ask him again for more grace through faith and submit yourself to his commands, then he'll bring it about. He'll grant what he commanded. And if there's those that maybe you've just been struggling with submitting to what he said. Maybe you've been struggling to submit to authority in your life. Listen, sometimes God puts authorities over you to kill the authority within you. Because if you can't submit to those in authority over you, then you'll never submit to the one who has ultimate authority over you, which is God himself. And so the solution's still the same. Submit yourself. Submit yourself. Receive grace through faith and ask God to give you a heart that wants to obey. Father, thank you for being the type of eternal God who not only commands us, but enables what you command. There's no God like you. You're the greatest of all time. And we do ask you to bring about obedience in us for the sake of your name. Your name is at stake here, God. And other people's salvation as well. So we wanna honor your name and we want to obey so that others will have a chance to honor your name. And we ask all of this in your name, in the name of Christ. Amen.